For those of you who don't know me, my name is Adam Matlack, and I'm on staff here at Clearpoint, and Brian Lambert is our lead pastor, and he is on the first week of his three weeks, and uh, it's really exciting to be in this place as a church. He called me this morning, they went on a cruise this past week, and he uh, he said they didn't get sunburned too bad, so that's really good, because when you're on a cruise for a week, it's probably pretty hard to get not get sunburned, but um, they're already on their way to Tennessee, they're going to be there for three weeks as a family, and it's really great that they're able to be in this position, we're able to be in this position to, to, to give them the rest and the opportunity to reconnect as a family and to reconnect with God. So uh, we've been asked to kind of pray for them as they go through this. So those who have done that, I appreciate that. They appreciate that. And let's continue to lift them up in prayer uh, for this time of rest. So there's one last thing I want to want to make out uh, or say. Um, Today is my wife and I's first year anniversary. We've been married, I don't know where she is. She's probably not even in here, but um, there she is. Um, I just wanted to say I love you, Nicole, and I can't believe you lasted with me for a year. And uh, it's been a wonderful ride. God's taken us places that uh, you and I never imagined. And it's really, really exciting to uh, to have a partner such as you. I love you. Thank you for for just being my wife. If you open your Bibles this morning to the Book of Mark, we're going to be in chapter four, and it's the parable of the sower. It, depending on the version you have, it might be. Uh, might read as the parable of the soils. And that's really a more accurate description because it's about the soils. So I'll go ahead and get right into the Word. Again, he began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some of the seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And it immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So in this parable, Jesus is the sower. He's the one sowing. And the seed is the gospel or the word. And the soils are those who hear the gospel. 
Now in this time, almost everyone had experience, the crowd, they had experience with agriculture. They, they either had some part, at some time of their life, they had done experience or been a part of planting and reaping a harvest. So it's very normal to them. This, this, this story and the majority of it was, was commonplace. So let's break down the soils real quick. First you have the seed that fell on the path. Now in this time they didn't use fences like we do. They used narrow roads about three feet wide that separated the different farms. And they used that road to sow. So you would stand along it, alongside it, you would sow. And it was very normal for the seed to fall on the path. Because as you sow, it was just as standing there, it was just something that happened. Second, you have the seed that fell on the rocky ground. All throughout the Middle East, even today, there's bedrock. And the bedrock in some places can come right up next to the topsoil. It can, and so what happens is it's a very thin layer of topsoil. So if you try to plant in an area like that, this, the root literally has nowhere to go. It just turns right back up, the sun scorches it, and it doesn't yield anything. Third, you have the seed that fell among the thorns. When a farmer is going to plant a crop, he clears a land. He clears the whole area that he's going to plant in. And with that, he tills the soil. And when he tills the soil, it, it basically churns all the, all the weeds and the roots that were there up. And if anybody who's ever pulled roots out of or pulled weeds, you've experienced the idea that if you don't pull the root, the weed will just come right back. And that's what happens here is that the seed takes grain or the grain starts to come and the weeds or the thorns choked it out. Fourth, you have the seed that fell among the good soil. This is the soil that has been tilled and plowed correctly. And the soil is ready to receive it. But it's this part of the story where everything becomes completely changed. It's, it's when the good soil in Jesus starts to up the ante, basically. And he talks about it, the 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is when they hear something that they've never heard before. You see, by all... Well, actually, let's, let's go to verse 8 real quick. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. You see, by most historical accounts, for this time, a good crop or a good yield was 8 to 1. So the ratio was 8 to 1. And an outstanding crop would be uh, 10 to 1. So compared that to, to 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, 30-fold is 30 to 1. 60-fold, 60 to 1. And then 100 to 1. By all accounts, this type of crop or this type of yield or harvest, never been in, they've never even heard of this, never even considered this as an option. This is by all accounts, would be miraculous. And so, this brings us to our first point. Good soil is revealed by its fruit. Good soil is revealed by its fruit. And you see, it was because of this 
being included in the story that the disciples later asked for an explanation because they they've never how how could good soil produce this? How could this be produced? And so picking up in verse 13, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Can you hear me? Is this, are we, is it good? Do I need to go to a mic? Are we okay? Alright. So now we're really starting to see what Jesus is talking about. And as normal with the, the living word, you can, you can read this in many ways. Most common way, and the, in the core way I think God wanted us to, to see this is as the soils being people who, individual people's responses to the gospel as a whole. And that's, that's, that's absolutely a way you can look at this. But today I would rather, I want to offer up a different perspective. What if instead of thinking of the soils as separate types of people, try to think of the soils as being different types of responses to the gospel in different areas of our own lives. So you can break down a person's life into many major areas, but for today, I'm going to break it down into six different areas. And if we're being honest, I think we all tend to compartmentalize. Men do it more than women, but we all do it. We all break it down into different areas of our lives. So first, you have your love life. You have your family life. Then you have friendship life. Number four, work life. Number five, financial life. And number six, physical and mental life. For today's purposes, this is going to how we're going to break down the areas or the major areas of life. It's not perfect. Not everybody fits this exact mold, but I think it'll it'll do. So now, when you now that we know that Jesus, when he was asked what the greatest commandment in, is in Mark twelve thirty, it'll be on the screen. His response was this: "And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all, with all of your soul and with all of your mind." and with all of your strength. I'm pretty sure we can be in agreement that this is there's really nothing left after this. If if this is what God's asking for, there's really there's this is all of it. There's nothing left. So today after reading the parable and 
thinking of the areas of life, these six major areas of life, the question I have for you is simple. What areas of your life don't have good soil? And in turn, don't yield fruit. It's not an easy question to, to swallow. As I prepared this week, these were the questions that God asked me. So breaking down, trying to have a better hold on this question, I'm going to ask a few different questions breaking down each area. Number one, love life. This is the relationship you have with your wife or your significant other or spouse. Is that relationship centered around God? Or is it centered around the people in it? Who's getting the glory in that relationship? Is it God? Or are, we, are you just glorifying each other? It's a tough, tough question. Family life, your parents, your kids, your siblings. It's how you treat, honor, and love them Focused, over, focused on the overflow of Christ's love? Or is it just really based off how you feel about them at any given time and how sometimes it can be a giant struggle to love and honor them the way God has called us to? Friendship life. You see, most of us have, we all have friends, but most of us have two types or two groups of friends. We have church friends and then we have non-church friends. Now, there's nothing wrong with having non-church friends. Jesus spent a majority of his time with those that were perceived as lost or unspiritual. So clearly, as he demonstrated that lifestyle to us, that's something that we're called to as well. The question I have, though, is why are you friends with the unchurched? Are you in a relationship because you want to love them and serve them and show God to them as God called us to? Or are we friends with them because we haven't given up that part of our lives? Work life. This is a huge struggle in Christianity today. Most of us work secular jobs. I spent a decent amount of time in the secular field trying to figure out what that looks like to live out your faith in the workplace. It's not an easy task. Most people believe that you have to be evangelizing. You have to, you have to go and Bible thump at, at work. And you have to go tell everybody, hey, you've you got to invite them to church. That's what, that's what most people say. Well, if I'm not doing that, I'm really not glorifying God at my job. It's not me living out my faith at work. But I wouldn't start with that question. I would start with this one. Do you give 100% effort at your job? Because it says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And for most of us, that's very convicting. That's very convicting. And I work for God. It's convicting to me. And I work for God. Financial life. The second I just said financial life, I felt the whole 
everybody just kind of tense up a little bit. Because money is a big deal. It costs money to drive here. It costs money to go home. It costs money to feed your kids. Money is a huge part of life. And for most of us, it's hard not to be thorny soil. Let's hop back to verse 14-19 again. And I'll just read it. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter and choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. That sums up a lot right there. As it says, for where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Number six, physical and mental life. This is... Your free time. What you read, what you watch, what you think, how you take care of your body, or how you don't take care of your body. All of it. And you see, God wants all of it. He wants us to love Him with everything that we are. Every moment, every thought. Not some of the time, but all of the time. And He wants us to accept the Gospel and bear fruit in all parts of our life. Not just here at church, but all the major parts of our lives. So the question is, how do we as believers move these different areas of our lives from the rocky, thorny soil to instead the good soil, the soil that produces fruit? How do we move these areas to be about loving God with all that we are? The answer is really twofold. First, we ask God to forgive us and to help us with our unbelief. Because it always starts repenting and asking for forgiveness is always where we start when it comes to dealing with bad soil. But the second is a word we toss around often that's not totally understood. I have limited understanding of it. And the word is discipleship. This is what church is for. For us to... This is why God commanded us to bear with one another together, to love one another, and to encourage one another so that we can mature and grow together. And that's all done through discipleship. But you see, I used to have, I used to think discipleship was easy to define. I used to define it in this really neat, uh, wrapped up way on paper. It's genius. Uh, you go, a new believer, somebody who just, a new convert, and then they would move, you would move them to the next stage, you'd move them to worker, and they'd start really getting to know God, and then you'd move them to disciple, now they're finally a disciple. Then you'd move to the last stage, and they're finally a disciple maker. And it's, it's, it's great on paper. It's wonderful on paper. The only problem is it's wrong. So, that doesn't work out too well. It's wrong. You see, to be a disciple means to be a student. That's literally the translation. To be a student. And you become a disciple of Jesus the moment you place your faith and you bow your knee to Him. As a student, 
the process of learning. Disciple, you know, as a student, you're in the process of learning. You're not a teacher. It doesn't mean teacher as in those who already know. It means you're learning. You're in the process of it. You see, I confused being a disciple with being a mature disciple. That's very two very different things. You see, because we even see it. We see it in the story. The parable, the seed took root in the bad soil. Two of them. Two of the bad soils. In the rocky and thorny soil. It took root. But the soil never allowed the plant to grow into maturity enough to yield any fruit. It was choked out. Maturity is the goal here. And that's the goal. To produce fruit for the kingdom of God. So if producing fruit is the goal, how do we mature so that we can achieve that? So remember, disciple means student, right? What do students do? Come on. Learn? What else? Study. Oh, uh-oh. Study. They study. They do their homework. They ask questions. They participate. They try. Everybody knows that if you don't try and participate in school, you're not going to get very far. What am I saying? I'm saying read your Bible. I'm saying read your Bible. And pray. These are, this is where it always begins. God's Word, this gift of God's Word is a beautiful thing. There's so much here, and if you, you have to read your Bible. So much of being, a part of, of being a part of God's disciple is praying to God, or is being God's disciple is to read His Word. And praying is just as important. How are you going to have a, how are you going to have a relationship with someone you don't talk to? Or listen to? have to pray. We have to be praying daily. Now I want to note that these things obviously are not uh, someone, someone else can't do them for you. I can pray for you, but I can't pray for you. You understand? And so I can't read the Bible. I can read the Bible to you, but I can't read the Bible for you. You, you have to do that. And, and as a side note, I want to make sure we all understand that myself, Brian, the church, the church staff, we're not responsible for your spiritual growth. You are. You have to, you have to do it. You have to do something. And it begins with reading your Bible and praying daily. You know, being a disciple, it's no different than being a disciple. It takes work to be a disciple. When you're, when you're in a discipleship relationship, it takes work. As most of you know, God has called us into community for a reason. And I believe it's for this exact reason. So that we can disciple one another and mature and bear fruit. So quickly, I'd like to cover what what I call the order of discipleship, or what we call the order of discipleship. It'll be on your screen. And so it's, this is the, so it's your spouse, your children, and then your friends. This is the order 
we are to follow when it comes to engaging in intentional discipleship relationships. Number one, your spouse. Your spouse has to be number one on the list. I truly believe God designed marriage for this exact purpose. He designed it to help each other grow. I've experienced over the last year, thank God. And if, and if you make God the center of your marriage, together, and you, you, you make it the goal to grow closer to God together, God will take you places you've never imagined. I've seen it myself. It's amazing. So it's always the spouse first. Number, number two, children. It's a parent's job as a Christian to teach and disciple their kids so that they bring all the areas of their life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's our job as parents. Outside of discipling each other, the spouses, their job is to disciple the kids. Where it starts or for the kids, it certainly does. And then finally you have friends. This is basically everyone else. Everyone outside of those two fall into this category. And obviously if you're not married, you start here. And at Clearpoint, we believe in intentional discipleship. What that means is, because we use the word intentional a lot, and I'll make sure, we believe discipleship on purpose. Like, we, we're going to do it on purpose. We're going to actually try to do it. We're not going to just talk about it. We're going to try to do it. And we do that in two ways. We do that through life groups. We do that through discipleship community. And so, I'll quickly explain. Life groups are a group to three to five, uh, three to fifteen people who meet in homes weekly. Some people call them small groups, home groups, doesn't matter. We call them life groups. We we do it so that we can encourage each other, we can grow closer to each other, and we can grow closer to God together and help each other mature. It's a form of discipleship. And man. You know, if you really want to grow and you're not in a life group or a small group, I would really encourage you to visit one today or this week or next week or whenever you can and get plugged in. Because we all need a spiritual family and it's, it really, really starts there. <laughs> you know, you have gifts and that's where... That's the core place you use them. You're, you're, you're being missed in those areas. And so, that's what a life group is. The other form of intentional discipleship takes place in what we call discipleship community. It's a group of three to five people who weekly or every other week they meet and it creates this, that well they first do, they do a a study, if you will. It's basically, they go through materials. The current one we work is 12 week or 12 lessons. And it's all focused on, it's the one you start with, it's all focused on trying to grow closer to God by how do you love God and how do you love His people? How do you fulfill the great commandment? But what we found after almost five years of this 
is that when people who want to grow do this, unsurprisingly, they grow. They don't grow a small amount. They grow an exponential amount, a miraculous amount. And so, I'm telling you this works. I've seen it. I've experienced it myself. And it's our heart as a church for you to experience it as well. And this brings me to my final point. Number three. We mature and grow together through discipleship. What's discipleship? Discipleship is all of it, right? Even this is a form of discipleship. It's a weak form, but it's a form. You're learning, or maybe, hopefully, right? And it, But it really, really, really takes place. This is how we grow and mature. This is what God designed it for. And so I don't know where you are this morning. It's one of the reasons why it's a weak form of discipleship or a weaker form. Because I don't, I don't really, I don't, I don't know your exact situation. But if you respond yes to the question, do you want to grow spiritually? You say yes to that. My response is let's grow together. As a church, this is why we're here. Visit a life group, get plugged in. Ask us, contact us about discipleship community, contact us about life groups. In your bulletin today, you'll see a card that says, I want to grow. What's the next step? If you flip it over, you can fill out that card. You can, you can select all the boxes. You can, you can write a note on there. It doesn't matter. But if you want to grow and you're not in a life group, let's get you into one. If you're not in a discipleship community, let's get you into one. It starts with life group. And you don't have to like, when we say, we say visit for a reason, to visit a life group. You're not like making a, a year commitment here. If you go to a life group, you're not, you're not stuck there forever. I promise. Okay? I promise. But if you fill that out, if you let us know, let us know where you're at. Let us know how we can, we can get you plugged in. Because it is our heart to grow with you. Not to, not to just preach at you, or, but to grow and mature with you. We're all growing and maturing. And that's why we're here. It's why we're a church. It's why we do what we do. Because we mature and grow together. And so, it's just, I'm, I'm, it's really fun to, to be part of a church that, ha, that, that has a family and understands family and starting to really understand significant or extended family. So my family is here today, uh, and that not just my family, but my extended family, my church family. So we want to grow together, and we want to give it all to God. How do we do it? We do it by praying, getting in His Word, and discipling and maturing together. Let's pray.